I'm Zach Owens, and I'm the biggest fan of your life. Welcome to the Biggest Fan of Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Zach Owens. I love learning from the major achievers, the famed celebrities, and outstanding experts. But I often think about the average Joes and Josephines who are just as great, who have valuable knowledge and skills to teach, and important perspectives and experiences to share. They may not have a platform, a following, or world-renowned status, but they have fascinating lives that I'm a fan of, and I think you should be too. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Biggest Fan of Your Life podcast. I believe that young people aren't just the future of our world, they're the now. And it gives me hope knowing that young people like Paige Jackson are trailblazing the way. She may only be a high school senior, but she has a strong sense of who she is and what she wants out of life. She places high value on education and diversity and seeks out experiences to grow her knowledge and understanding. Currently, if she's not in the robotics lab, she's probably solving some Rubik's Cubes, checking the sports scores, or preparing for graduation or her upcoming summer abroad experience. Soon she'll be furthering her education at the University of Cincinnati. And as a two-time UC alumni, I am stoked about that. But even more so, I'm stoked to introduce to you one of the most fascinating and inspiring young people that I've ever met. This is Paige Jackson. Ah, This coffee's good. What did you get? Caramel macchiato. That's right. Yeah. Probably tastes like more of something than yours does, but... Mine's just plain black coffee. Yeah. The way it was meant to be. Uh, I can't. Yep. All right. Well, Paige Jackson, I think I met you when you were probably, what, 13? Seventh or eighth grade. Uh, seventh grade, probably. Okay. So whatever. yeah, 13, 14-ish, yeah, something like that. Probably. Yeah. And so I had come to Zanesville to be a student minister and you were a student. And now here you are, 18 years old, um, on the verge of heading to college, which you just got your acceptance letter. Am I right? Yes, that is correct. Where are you going? The University of Cincinnati. And we love that for you. <laughs> I'm a Bearcat alum as well. And so what are you going to be studying? I'm going to be double majoring in biological sciences and Spanish. Very cool. And we're going to talk about that here uh, over the course of this time together. Um, But UC was one of your top choices. Why? Um, I really loved the campus. I like being in the big city, um, which I didn't know that I did because Zanesville is not really that big of a city. But the campus is awesome. And they have like 12 hospitals in the city of Cincinnati. So if I want to get involved in anything medical, then I'll have a lot of opportunities to do so. Okay. And then I know from an earlier conversation we had had, you had mentioned something too about diversity. Yeah, absolutely. So Zanesville's very diverse in comparison to a lot of the other schools in this area. And I love the diversity because I think it's a good representation of what the world's like. Their world is very diverse overall. So being able to experience that while I'm at the at college, I think will be really good for me. Yeah. Why, why do you value diversity? I think it just helps us, uh, helps me understand the walks of life that other people go through and then how to get along with other people, how to improve relationships overall with all different types of people, make friends, uh, just things like that. 
I think that's awesome, and I I, w- I wish it was something more of us valued. But I, I think you know one of the reasons I like to do this podcast is because I would like to break down stereotypes and. You're not the average 18-year-old. No, you're not the average high school student by any means. Do you think that your peers value that same thing? Um, I don't think all of them do. Um, I think the more people, the more you can talk about it, the more people start to value it. And I know that people at my school specifically really started to value it after um, my high school got told we couldn't join the Muskingum Valley League and it kind of put everyone back and they're like, oh, okay, so we'll join a league that is like as diverse as we are and has the same sort of competitive uh, rate as we do. And people kind of realize that like we shouldn't be ashamed of the types of things that we have going on at Zanesville because it puts us a step of, above everyone else. In my eyes, at least, you're not the typical average high school student, which is why I wanted to have you on this podcast. Do you get told that a lot? I I do get told that a lot, um, especially when I was like a younger high schooler. Okay. I got it a lot like, wow, you're a freshman. I would have never guessed that. And now that I'm a senior, people expect seniors to act a little more mature, but I still get it pretty frequently. And and how does, how do you, how do you take that? Is that something that you take as a compliment? Is that weird? Um, I usually take it as a compliment, but then I have people who are like, oh, but she's not enjoying high school. She's not going to all of the sports games and she's not doing what typical teenagers do. And I'm like, well, that's not my thing. So, Yeah. And and you don't seem to care. No, I don't care. And and why not? (laughs) Um, Because I enjoy what I do and I think that I'm going to be a better person because of it. Do you think, because that is not something, because I, I can remember a time in my life when I came to that point where you just stop caring what other people think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what it, when you're a young person especially, did that just happen early for you, you think? or uh, I don't know. I think a lot of it came in my transition from being a full-on athlete to ditching all my sports altogether because I got a lot of criticism about it from dropping all of the hours and time that I had put in practicing for sports like since I was a little kid mm-hmm. to just dropping it all together and starting something completely new and especially because I was leaving all my friends behind and my teammates they were kind of all upset and a little critical not too much about giving up on everything that I had been doing for so long. Mm-hmm. So I had that in my notes of things to talk about because I remember when that happened when you you quit a lot of things mm-hmm. and that's hard you know, it's one of those things, especially, you know, we both have grown up in small towns and, mm-hmm. you know, there's this mentality that's like, you don't quit. Yeah. We aren't quitters, right? Yeah. But you quit like two or three sports. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so talk about making that decision and how people responded to that. Yeah. So I knew that it was the summer before my freshman year. So I had finished all my seasons of sports for my middle school career. And I was to the point where I was like, I had just started robotics my eighth grade year. I was on a Lego robotics team. And me and my teammate, we ended up placing third at a national robotics competition, having no experience, no idea what we were doing. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, Uh, that was pretty cool. And then over the summer, I was supposed to be going to all these open gyms for basketball and all of these open fields for soccer. And I was like, this is not fun anymore. Like, I don't have fun with this. I went to the... 
a robotics lab every day and loved it. Like I wanted to wake up in the morning and go to the robotics lab. And it was hard for me because it's kind of a running thing in my family where like, oh, Paige kind of quits everything. She used to play the electric guitar and now she doesn't. She used to play trumpet and now she doesn't. She used to play softball, soccer, and basketball and now she doesn't. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm getting this backlash because it appears that I quit everything. But this is my fourth year of robotics and I'm still pushing hard, putting in 30 plus hour weeks. So, Well, and I think we need to rethink what it means when we say quit because you know there are there's a right way to quit things mm-hmm. and there's a wrong way to quit things if you will you know what i mean yeah. because if you're doing something just because you're you feel like you should you know what i mean yeah. and and i'm a firm believer that you should follow through with your commitments so you know finish the season but after that season if you want to quit fine it doesn't matter how many years you've put into it yeah you know it's your life Yeah, there were a couple of times, especially early on in high school, where I really missed basketball after the basketball team was super successful, and I knew how good I could have been if I would have continued playing. But then um, with all of the success that I've had with robotics, there's nothing that I could have done sports-wise that could have matched up to that. So, Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't go back and change any of it? No, not at all. What do you think, you know— because your parents allowed you to do this, right? Mm-hmm. They they allowed you to step away from those things. Was that a battle at all in fighting with them on that? Or was were they just that willing to let you make that decision? They were pretty willing to let me make that decision. I know it kind of probably hurt my dad's heart a little bit because he's a huge soccer fan and he had coached us when we were little and um, had always been on the sidelines cheering us on, would take us to professional soccer games. So I think it hurt him a little bit. Uh, when I was done with soccer and then my sister ended up being done with sports too. So then he kind of didn't have anyone to carry on the soccer legacy. But I think at this point, he is extremely glad that I quit my sports and they love coming to my robotics competitions and watching that too. So, But you still stay up on sports, right? Like you're always watching yeah. like the football scores and things like that. Yeah, I I go to some high school sporting events, but in terms of professional and even college I love watching football on Saturdays and Sundays and uh, Friday night football at the high school is a good memory as well yeah and, and I love seeing that because like I said you're not the average high school student yet you still stay very involved with your school mm-hmm. and I, I see pictures of you at the football games and you know the school spirit where and you 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 care about your school you care about your classmates you care about education in general yeah um so I think it's great that yeah you're you're kind of uh, you're you're kind of separate from the pack but at the same time you know you invest. Yeah. That's yeah. That's cool. And I know recently and you're going to have to explain a little bit about what this is but you were asked to lead a Twitter conversation um you know, and from what I can tell, it's something your school does, and I've seen principals, school administrators lead it, but you're a student, and they ask you to lead it. Yeah. So this is, is it Zanesville Ed Chat? Yeah, Zanesville Ed Chat. Ed Chat? Tell, yeah. tell us what that is. So our superintendent a couple of weeks ago decided to start this hashtag Zanesville Ed Chat, and we have seen Ohio uh, education does it with administrators from all around the state to get things answered, and basically every week, Someone leads it, uh, and there's a topic that the whole conversation surrounds, and the person who's in charge will create four or five questions, put it out, and then people, anybody that's on Twitter really, can respond to the questions, and then it kind of just creates a conversation. Everyone's focused on one thing for that week, and 
we've had our superintendent led the first one to kick it off. And then I ended up leading the second one that Zanesville ever did. And uh, we had, I was actually approached one day, I was in the robotics lab in the morning and my superintendent and principal walked in and I was a little concerned at first because I didn't know like, <laughs> what exactly was going on. And they're like, oh, how are things going? And I'm like, oh, it's good. And he said, did you guys, did you see on Twitter about the Ed Chat? And I said, yeah, I'll have to check that out. He said, would you be interested in leading one? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, sure, I guess. And I didn't realize how much work it would end up being, but he gave me the option to pick the topic that I wanted the conversation to be about. And I ended up uh, choosing Project Lead the Way, which is um, a way to... It's like a track-based system for classes. So you have like a biomedical sciences track or an engineering track or computer science. So that sounds like it's more applied education, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. less book smarts and more. Well, it's still book smarts, uh, but but you're in the lab or you're yeah. creating things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it ended up revolving around that, and then just STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math overall in our high school specifically, but the district as well. Okay. So, so is this something you would have volunteered for on your own? Um, I kind of, if they opened it up to students, they opened it up to students at the end, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. So I finally like committed to it at the end of the first Ed Chat that we had, and I really enjoyed it. It was very stressful in the moment, trying to keep up with like 20 tweets that were coming in uh, between every question, but I think it started good conversation overall, and it was nice for me to know the opinions uh, of the people in the school district and then to be a student whose opinion was also val valued on the subject yeah. since that's who it affects the most. I, I think that's awesome too because again, I think you have some interesting thoughts on education um, mm -hmm. because yeah, I know we've chatted before about how some of these classes that you've taken through this project Lead the Way have led you to discover what it is you want to kind of dedicate your life to studying, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Ta talk about that. Like, how did How did those classes help you kind of land there? Yeah, so my sophomore year was the first year that we had Project Lead the Way at our school. We didn't have it my freshman year. And we had an engineering pathway and a biomedical sciences pathway. And I had no idea which one I wanted to do. I really wanted to do both of them because... Well, why not? And I was in robotics, so... <laughs> well, and you're a science nerd too, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I'm in robotics, so everyone was like, don't you want to do engineering then if you're in robotics? So I took both of them. There was space in my schedule somehow to take both of them. And after two weeks, I hated the engineering class so much. Like, it was torture for me to sit in that class all year. I mean, I ended up doing well in the class and had the good experience of knowing that I didn't want to do that because if I would have started college and started as an engineering major and then had to switch, I think that would have been a lot more stressful than being a sophomore and being like, oh, okay, I don't want to do engineering. So Yeah. Well, and I think about it all the time. Like, I'm so glad there are people who want to engineine because I would not be an engineer. Anything yeah. science-related is not for me. So I'm glad you're going into biomed. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm glad at that course... Sadly, I won't get to take all four years of it. And the fourth year is actually like working with a local hospital and spending one day a week at the hospital doing things. So I'm a little upset I won't get to do that. But in this first three years, like I've learned so much and done 
I've done so many real life like labs. And when you're in a biology class, you might do real life labs, like an autopsy on a worm or whatever. But like actually an doing- autopsy <laughs> on a worm. <laughs> like, what did we use? A dissection yeah, is what we used to call that. Dissection's probably the better word. But <laughs> I'm going to start calling it an autopsy. That's <laughs> an wonderful. Autopsy. I mean, they're dead and you're looking at them. So I guess it's an autopsy in a way. But uh like I've done tests that you would do in a lab as like a doctorate candidate, just doing them. And even though it's not actual person's DNA per se, we're mimicking real life cases and we follow a family throughout the year and try and figure out all these things and how to help them in the best way possible. So, so do you have, you know, from a student perspective, 18 years old, you've taken sort of this alternative educational track in high school. Mm -hmm. When you think about the future of education, I mean, you know your generation. Yeah. What sort of thoughts do you have around just maybe the course that education is taking right now? So one thing uh, that's becoming really big is just the use of technology in school altogether. And it creates a lot of conflicting ideas because Administrators don't want students to have their phones in the classroom, but then students are on their phone outside of classroom. So if you can give them a way to utilize those uh, technologies, I think it'll benefit them in the long run. But just overall, I think in terms of education, that uh, just talking to people from other countries, and I don't even know if this is what you're asking, but talking to people from other countries, I see all the things that we do in our education system that are like kind of awful and compared to the... Like what? Give me an example. So many other countries, it's more rigorous in the first, their schooling is more rigorous and not that ours... Like on the front end in elementary school? Or are you just talking... throughout their entire education. Okay. Um, the foreign exchange students at our school are always saying how easy our school is and that they aren't stressed at all and they're always stressed when they're back home. So I guess in terms of stress levels, our education system is a good thing. But many students will come to America because they can get an education more easily or get into a college more easily than they can in their okay. home country, per Okay. Se. So you would say, as a re- recommendation, that, you know, hey, in the States, we need to maybe up the rigor and the challenge in our, in our curriculum. Yeah, I think so. And I think that state tests really put us down also because teachers are teaching to the test rather than being able to teach what will actually be useful in the coming years and not just for one test at the end of the year, which other schools don't, other countries don't do like state testing at the end of every year. When they graduate, they take a test and that's the only test they have. Like our ACT or SAT, that would be all that they have to take. You mentioned technology and you know, thinking about how technology is part of, I mean, Gen Z has grown up in the world of Mm -hmm. technology, right? Yeah. And and so it's going to be part of your life. It's going to be part of education. You know, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, Well, right now, I think that it's a bad thing because people don't know how to use it appropriately yet. It's still new enough that everyone is obsessed with all of the new technology that comes out and it's still the most popular thing. And at our school, we have a rule where we can't have phones, headphones out, anything during class. So as soon as you walk in a classroom, your phone's off and put away and you take earbuds out, headphones off, those sorts of things. And a lot of students complain about it every day. But for me, I really enjoy it because I'm much more productive when I don't have my phone buzzing in my pocket all day long or even my Apple Watch. Like if it keeps buzzing and buzzing and buzzing, I'll take it off and put it in my backpack. And I mean, for me, it 
that allows me to get more things done. But some kids are more interested in being on social media necessarily than well. And even too, even if you are connected for the right reasons, the practice for this new generation of disconnecting. I think is important. Yeah, I agree. And if you think of like even fast food careers or any career later on in life, then you can't have your phone out while you're working. Right. So that's what, how school should be to prepare you for that. To prepare you for life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you've talked about Project Lead the Way and, and even robotics, it sounds like that's what's happening, at least in terms of your educational experience, is that you're getting very real life opportunities to practice what it is you're going to be doing. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy. The things that I've done uh, just through robotics and Project Lead the way that I never would have imagined would have happened before even applying to college. So, mm-hmm. Now, you also mentioned Spanish. Yeah. Talk to me about how that enthusiasm or that passion for, for I don't know, Spanish language, Spanish culture, mm-hmm. where did that come from? So I think the biggest thing for me is that when I went to Haiti as an eighth grader, I couldn't communicate with anybody without a translator. And for someone who likes to be like hands-on and always doing things independently, having to have someone right next to me uh, translating was a little frustrating. Uh, But of course, we don't, Haiti's the only country that speaks Haitian Creole. So the practicality of learning that is not necessarily as high as learning Spanish and uh I started, I've had four different Spanish teachers, so it's kind of been rough in that way, but also... But that's part of learning too, though, right? Adapting to the teacher, adapting to people. Yeah, and absolutely, and they all studied, the majority of them studied in different countries too, so I've learned things about, we had one that was Argentina, so the accents and the way they said things were a little different, and then Spanish teachers that studied in Spain and Mexico, so right there, I've already had exposure to cultures and language of three different countries, and Mm -hmm. I mean... It's still Spanish, but like how we have English here and English in, what's the country? England? England, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, oh, I love that. Um, the accents are different. So when people right. are learning. Or even within the states, right? You've got yeah. your southern, you've got your northeast, your midwest, yeah, all absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a foreign exchange kid that I know from the Czech Republic, and he's here. And he speaks great English. Like, you wouldn't even know he wasn't from America. But his accent is so, I don't even know. It's like almost Eastern United States accent. Like, almost like he was from New Jersey or something. And I just think it's cool to listen to him and be like, wow, you sound like literally someone from the States, not even someone that's learning. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty cool. Now, you've been to Haiti twice now? Yeah, twice. Okay, what was different the first time versus the second time? So the first time I went with uh, my mom, or the person leading the trip, Christio, had asked my mom if she wanted to come, and I was standing right next to her when he asked, and then I was kind of just staring at him like, are you going to ask me if I want to come? <laughs> and then he ended up asking me if I uh, wanted to come also, and I think everyone was extremely skeptic about it at first because— Because you were the youngest on that trip, right? Yeah, I was the youngest on the trip, eighth grade, never traveled outside of the United States before, never been on a plane, had to go get a passport. And my family wasn't real happy with the idea that I'd be traveling to a foreign country and that they wouldn't know what was going on. But and they were going with you though, right? Your, your mom went? Yeah, my mom went. Okay. And I think that kind of helped in the end. But then the second time I went, my mom did not go. I went by myself, well, with a group, but without a family member. 
Um, and for me, I think that was a huge experience because I got to do everything independently. I got to work with all different types of people. And the second one was a medical trip, which was really intriguing to me because I'm interested in the medical field and like not necessarily being a doctor, but the medical field in general. And I ended up considering not going because I didn't know what I was going to be useful for. I was like, well, I'm not a medical professional. What am I going to do when I'm on this trip? And Chris was like, no, just go anyways. There's always, if you have the heart, there's always something for you to do. And I'm like, okay, we'll go. And then I ended up running uh, like makeshift pharmacy for our mobile clinics and getting people, doctors would hand me a little script and I would get the bags ready for whatever the patient needed and then give them back to the doctor. They would give them and go away. And I kind of got to stand in the background and see the wide like view of everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. all being involved at the same time. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you don't want to be a doctor. Yeah. And and I think we've talked about this. You, you really want to dedicate your life to medical research. Yeah, yeah, I did. Which I do. is fascinating to me. Yeah, and I don't really know what the, I mean, I don't really want to be a doctor because I'm not good at the whole personal thing. We had to do a, or even like, like the bedside manner. The bedside and manner, the, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> communicating things appropriately. We had to do a little skit in my project lead the way class where we each had to take turns being the doctor and the patient and we had a situation and we had to play it out and of course I was the first one to be the doctor and I had no idea what I was doing and they're like okay you have to tell this mom that her she's pregnant and you have to try and convince her to get some prenatal testing done but the testing is invasive and there's a chance she could lose a pregnancy. So you have to try and convince her to get the test. And then when she asks what the risks are, you have to be able to explain it to them. So I'm sitting there and we have a nurse that brought the patient in and she sits down on the chair and I'm like, okay, so everything looks good, but we're going to recommend that you get this uh, testing done. And they're like, okay. And then she was about to get up and leave and I was so excited and then she sat back down and she's like, but what are the risks? And I, oh goodness, I replied, well, uh, I mean, your baby could die. So (laughs) at that point, everyone was laughing and I'm like, well, okay, this definitely just confirmed that being a doctor is probably not the right move. (laughs) Well, and I know we, this is another reason Paige Jackson fascinates me. You you, you and I have geeked out plenty on the Myers-Briggs. Oh, absolutely. And we are complete opposites. Yes. And so I, I enjoy Paige. I'm fascinated by Paige because she sees the world so differently than I do um, and interacts with it so differently than I do, which is wonderful. <laughs> so going back to you know your love of Spanish culture and language, you're actually getting ready to pursue another uh, venture into a Spanish-speaking country, correct? Correct. I don't know for sure where I'm going yet. I should be finding out in the next two months, but through Rotary International, I'm going to be doing a four-week exchange program, and it's family to family. So whoever I end up matching with from that country will each spend four weeks at each other's houses with each other. So it'll be an eight-week program altogether. And it's completely immersive. So they don't even want us to use like technology or communicate back home very much while we're there. And the host family isn't allowed to speak any English when I'm there. And I'm not allowed to speak any Spanish when they're here, which is going to be really difficult because I speak Spanish around the house all the time. So Is that daunting for you like um, to think about? No, I. it's not very scary. I think that I speak pretty good Spanish and obviously I don't have an accent and I'm not very good listener, but I think it's going to be a really good step for even pursuing my Spanish major. I'll go in with a step ahead 
a step ahead being fluent in conversational Spanish, being able to listen to it. And then from my four years of Spanish at the high school, getting more of the technical things down with the grammar, I think it'll be a good advantage for me. How valuable do you think it is that we have a foreign language requirement as part of our education here in the States? So I think for, I think it's really valuable, especially I think it goes back to the diversity thing for me that it's so, the, the world is so diverse. And unless you want to stay in Zanesville, Ohio, your whole life, you're probably going to run into a lot more diversity than you're used to. And like, even at Zanesville, we have three foreign exchange students and a couple of kids that have moved here from other countries. For instance, there's a Mexican girl in my Spanish class. So we get to hear the native language that she learned and she speaks Spanish at home and speaks English at school. So we get to hear how she says things and how it works in her family, the slang that we would use, Mm -hmm. uh, the slang that they use in their family, and then just different idioms that they have. I think it's a pretty cool thing. And Mm -hmm. if you want to travel anywhere, it can be very advantageous to know a different language. Or if you want to work somewhere that has a lot of diversity, like big cities, Columbus or Cincinnati, they both have huge, diverse populations, different languages. So it can give you a good advantage in the career field as well. Now, you know, we're both from small town Midwest, small town Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. Is your dream or is your end game, is that to be in a larger city, uh, like a more urban, diverse environment? Or like, do you want to get out of the Midwest? Or what, what do you, where do you see yourself? So I would like to stay in Ohio or surrounding states. I like this area a lot, but I definitely like the big cities. I like, like even when I go to Easton, I like just watching people that, I I don't see people like that all the time when I'm here. So it's cool to just watch them and see how they interact with their families and how it's different than how we interact with our families necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. Would you Would you describe yourself as a curious person? Yes, definitely. If I think of anything that I don't know the answer to or that I want, to, I'm going home and researching it like as I, soon as possible. And again, I think that's so interesting because you think, I'm curious about this. I'm going to go research it. I go, I'm curious about this. I'm going to think about it and muse about it and then forget it. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm glad that maybe uh, you're the perfect person to go into medical research then because you you ask the questions and want to go seek out answers. That's good. I feel like we keep coming back to things related to education and clearly learning is something that you value. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is something that you value. Um, you know, you've mentioned diversity. Are, is there any other things that, you know, you can think of that, man, this is something that I value in my life that I want to hold dear as core to who I am? Um, I would say even trying new things, which I'm not a super outgoing person and that doesn't happen very frequently for me, but going to Haiti twice, planning to go on a trip somewhere this not even knowing where it is. And that's yeah. awful for me. Like not knowing. You don't do uncertainty, do you? No, I'm I'm a planner. So I don't, I, I'm kind of nervous about where I'm going to end up. But at the same time that I know it's going to be a good experience no matter where I end up. So traveling, trying new things, traveling, those things I've all learned so much from, especially going by myself because then I'm forced to be independent and I'm forced to make a way for myself and being younger, especially compared to everyone else that I'm with, has also pushed me to be like, okay, yes, I'm young, but no, that doesn't matter. So this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you think your generation, the young generation, Gen Z, 
is a misunderstood generation? Uh, I think we frequently get paired as millennials, and that leads to a lot of misunderstanding because I had my my mom ask me today if I was a millennial, and I said, no, I'm not a millennial. Um, But that I am a Gen Z and that we are just this kind of just now reaching adulthood as a generation altogether. Um, I think it's definitely confusing for people because, I mean, everyone knows who the baby boomers are and then everyone knows who millennials are, but then you kind of have the age group between those two and the age group below the millennials that's like, oh, okay, well, they're just always on their phones. So (laughs) that's what I get a lot. Yeah. This is a question I've been dying to ask you. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) So say you have the mic, which you do right now, and you have the ears of every adult on the planet, Mm -hmm. and you are the spokesperson for today's, you know, Gen Z young person, what would you tell them? You know, maybe you, whether it's like something about your generation, maybe the challenges or struggles you have, or maybe what you have to offer. You know, I, I don't know. What, what would you want them to know about your generation? I would say to give us a chance. I think oftentimes it's like an automatic response to be like, oh, that won't work just because we're younger right now and that means we don't have as much life experience as an older person does. But I think that because of how much technology we have, we have a good understanding of things going on all around the world because those things get transported. News gets transported so much faster via technology than paper. So I think that gives us an advantage to solving problems faster, helping people faster, being more compassionate for others because we know that our experience is better than theirs and that it shouldn't be better than theirs and that everyone Mm. deserves to have uh, an equal shot at everything and that everyone's life should hold value. Mm. Wow. And you're 17. 18. 18. You're 18. (laughs) I keep saying that. I apologize. You are 18 years old. It's okay. It's just, it blows my mind. It, it really does. So there was a period of time where, again, you're just such a unique young person to me. You, you started doing Rubik's Cubing. Yes. Which is such a trend of the 80s. And actually, I, I, I think I had shared this with you. It's on my bucket list yes. to one day solve a Rubik's yeah, Cube. We're going to do it. I Are promise. we? You're going to yeah. help me? Yeah. When I'm in Cincinnati, okay, we'll do it for sure. Fair enough. Okay, I have to help Cody before I leave to... Oh, yeah. I guess we should tell our listeners. I I forgot to do that. Yeah, so we have a guest in here just kind of listening. This is our friend Cody. She's here just kind of cheering on Paige. Woo whoop. Hey, Cody. Cody's been bugging us like for the last two or three months about teaching her how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Okay. I have to do that before I go to college and then I'll teach Cody and then we can teach you as well. So how did did you get started with just Rubik's Cubing? Because you went to the point where, I mean, you talked about PRs, which means personal record, right? Yeah. Or personal best, things like that. Yeah. And, And you had all these different Rubik's Cubes and you had an Instagram account. Like you were going ham on this thing. How did you get involved with that? How'd that start? Okay, so if I remember correctly, um, a kid in our youth group named Eric Allen had like an original Rubik's Cube, like Rubik's brand uh, youth group one Wednesday night and he was solving it and I was a little jealous and I was like, oh, okay, I've seen those before and he can solve it and I can't. So I went home and I had one actually, I don't know where it came from, but I had one and I could not figure it out and I ended up like throwing it and breaking it. And then I was like, well, okay, giving up on that. But then every week he would come with stupid Rubik's Cube and solve it. And everyone would be like, oh my gosh, Eric is solving a Rubik's Cube. And I was like, ask 
asking for it so I could mess around with it. And then I was determined to finish one. So was it more out of a sense of like jealousy and security or was it more out of like a competitive edge? Oh, definitely competitiveness. Because you're a pretty competitive person. Yes, I am probably more competitive than uh, is uh, a good thing sometimes. are Are you more competitive when you have an opponent or are you more competitive when it's you versus yourself? I think that if I'm not doing as well as I know that I can, I'll become competitive with myself. But if I'm at the top of my game and someone else is beating me at that point, then I'm going to be more willing to push myself. It's going to push you. Yeah. 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 So uh, I was determined again to solve it after Eric kept solving it. And I got another one from my friend and I stayed up like all night one night just watching videos and trying to figure out all the notation for all the movements and I finally solved one and then I was like, well, now I have to do it again, but it has to be faster. It can't take me a whole day to do it. So then I was just kept solving it and solving it. And there's all these different methods you can use. And I was using the basic Rubik's method. So like when Rubik invented it and 1970 something, 70. Which is crazy that you even know that. Four, I love that. I think. <laughs> the method that like it's, the basic method, beginner's method, and I was solving it. And I ended up getting my time with that down to like two minutes or something. And then I was like on making that Instagram page and all these people I were following were getting like 10 second solves. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And And then you started doing like Rubik's designs, right? Like for holidays or for things like that, right? Something? Yeah, I had, well, we're using a cube. I know 4th of July, I had one where I'd made like a little flag out of the side of my cube. Uh, I remember doing that, but oh my gosh, I have so many cubes. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> and, and and do you still mess around with those? I mean, I, I know you haven't been as active on that Instagram page, but... Yeah, so I don't do them as much. So I went through probably a good year and a half where that was basically all that I did. And it was nice to kind of keep my hands busy, especially in class. Like it helped with me with my anxiety a lot to just have something to do to take my mind off of it. And then... As I became more comfortable and my anxiety got better, like it wasn't as necessary for me to do, uh, to always be doing something. And then, of course, my schoolwork got harder and more, uh, it needed more time for me to do. So then I didn't have as much time to do it, but I still keep getting, people still keep buying me Rubik's Cubes. So I have like the nicest version of every cube and occasionally I'll solve them. And I have a whole bag of three by threes at my high school right now because I did a speech on how to solve a Rubik's Cube. So then I let everyone in the class have one to mess around with while I was giving the speech. Yeah. <laughs> that tells you how many I have. Wow. <laughs> how big is the class? Over, I know there are more than 10 people. Okay. I think I have 13. I mean, I've seen the bag 14. you carry that yeah. has all the Rubik's Cubes. You have yeah. plenty of them. Yeah, I'm hoping to get a and sense And some of them aren't even cubes. They're like a triangle, yeah, like I a have pyramid. A, a pyramid one and a, like a 3D decahedron, I think, is 12-sided. It's called a Mega Minx. I don't know. And then I've Goodness. done like up to seven by seven in terms of a normal cube, not many rows. So I'm hoping to get a Cincinnati one. My family, when I first started looking at colleges, my family bought me an Ohio State one and an Indiana University one because that's where they were alumni from. Uh-huh. So then now hopefully I can get a Cincinnati one to put up there with those two. There you go. Like, so now it's just ha- like a collection thing, right? Yeah, it's pretty much just a collection thing to be like, okay, I can solve every single one of these on my shelves. So I just need to keep getting new ones so that I can learn how to solve all of them. 
Do you ever feel like a wind-up puppet though? Like now that people know that's your thing, like yeah. here, Paige, solve this. Yeah. Like does Any, that get does that get old? Um, it does a little bit because people will be like, "Oh, I know your fastest time, sixteen seconds. Let me see you solve it in sixteen seconds." And I'll be like, "Okay, that's my fastest time, but that's not my average time, and I haven't solved in like when I got my." 16 second solve I was doing like hundreds of solves a day so that was like literally putting in <laughs> work so so this, your your personal best is that 16 yeah 16 seconds okay but your average time is more like what like more like 25 okay which 25 is still mind-blowing <laughs> 25 to 30 is let's probably let my that average. be said yeah wow and then did you find that others kind of caught on to the trend too like because I know you had the bag but I other, I remember there was a time where I saw like everyone had a Rubik's Cube around yeah. you <laughs> um I know my best friend Logan he definitely got on it after I did and he I let him borrow a couple of mine so that he could learn and then there were other kids at my school who had already been solving them pretty like uh intensely they were already pretty into it but then after I did it and I was the only girl that was doing it. So then all of the guys were like, oh my gosh, Paige is solving Ruby's Cubes. Now we can do it publicly too. And then we ended up, <laughs> we ended up like forming- It became socially okay. Yeah, it became socially okay. And then there ended up being like a, we started a cubing club at my high school, which kind of disbanded, but- Were you the president? I am the self-proclaimed president. We didn't have like <laughs> official roles there was no, necessarily. There were no ballots, no, yeah. no bylaws drafted. No, and it, but it was my idea for the group and my mom ended up like chaperoning it because each club has to have a teacher. Right. So we had a cube. People, there were probably like, le- there were definitely less than 10 of us, but they were all different levels and they were, some kids were like amazed by all of the different cubes that some of us had. And then some, like a couple, me and a couple other kids were always competing for who, could solve it faster, so. Uh-huh. So you mentioned something there I want to hit on. So you said you were one of the only girls, if not the only girl, mm-hmm. doing the Rubik's Cubes among these guys, right? Yeah. And in robotics, are you one of the only girls there too? Yeah. So in terms of high school, I've been the only girl, I was the only girl my freshman and sophomore year. And then I've been the only girl that's been like hardcore participating, like actively been on it. This year we have a girl on the freshman team. Uh, But in terms of my team, I've been like the only girl for my whole high school career. Talk about that experience of being the only girl in maybe some of these more, I don't want to say male dominated, but I mean, in in essence, that may be what it is, right? Like what has that challenge been like for you? So I remember as a freshman, uh, there were 10 people on the team, including me. So it would have been nine guys and myself uh, in the lab at any given time. There could have been an assortment of us. But obviously my other freshmen, we were all used to being around each other. We've been friends since elementary school. But then the older guys were always like, you know, messing with the freshmen. So then sometimes it was pretty intimidating, uh, especially because they didn't take me as seriously as they took the other guys that were on the team. So I had to put in more time than anyone else really and any more work to prove that I could do everything that they could just because I'm a girl doesn't mean that I can't. And I'm, I think now that I didn't mean for this to happen, but I've kind of become a role model for all of the girls that are on like the middle school team. Uh, whenever I go down to help them or when they come up to the high school, they're always all over me the whole time. But they're 
I would say it's pretty 50-50 at the elementary and middle school levels with girls. And there's a whole girl team that's coming up. They're going to be freshmen next year. There's like seven of them. And I think next year, girls might be, there might be more of them than there are guys. And even in the VEX robotics community, which is the part of robotics that I do, it's VEX. They have a girl-powered initiative so that they're trying to get more girls involved. And there are some competitions that are like, the team has to be more than 50% girls for them to even compete, which I am borderline on this whole idea of girl-powered. I've been pretty like vocal in the robotics community about how I feel about it, but I think they have the right idea in mind of getting more girls involved. But then I also think that it shouldn't be to the point where just because they're girls, they should get special treatment in okay. terms of the community. So Okay, yeah, but I, I love that you were willing to be the only girl in that environment. Like, that didn't phase you. No. I mean, it, at first, it was definitely— It probably rattled you a little it bit. It was definitely hard at first because I kind of had to put up with some, like, rude, comp, snarky comments and yeah. some inappropriate jokes and things that right. I expected to happen in the first place. But, but you didn't let it stop you. No. And I, and I love that—because I do believe in the power of visibility. And so the fact that those younger girls can say— oh, she's willing to be a girl and and do these things. And she's willing to be the only girl mm-hmm. and do these things around a team full of guys and, you know, to, to show up and to, to make robots that do awesome things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's cool because, you know, on the reverse side, I remember being a guy who, you know, would be into singing and being into art and music and writing and, and, you know, some of these things that are typically a little less masculine. And that can be very daunting at, at your age, you know what I mean? To, to, to be, to own that. Yeah. And, and you've always seemed to have been comfortable owning that Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. I don't know. Um, kind of how that like confidence came about in terms of being able to just be like, okay, you guys are just going to have to put up with me being here. Like, I understand there are some things you can't do because I'm here, but that's life and you're going to have to get over it. And even when I took that Project Lead the Way engineering class my sophomore year, I was the only girl in the class. So those weren't even robotics kids. Those were just high school kids taking the class and I was the only Mm. one that was in there. So, I mean, I did the same things they did. I scored better than them on the test at the end of the year. And I think they people that I've interacted with typically just think that you're not going to do as well as a team full of guys would do. Mm. And sometimes I find that to be true. There are some girls robotics teams that I'm like, okay, you guys are literally all wearing skin tight pants and like revealing shirts and you guys are walking around like flirting with all of the guys at the robotics competition. That kind of gets on my nerves because then it sets a bad tone for the people who are serious about robotics. Right, right. Especially for a female. Yeah. So like, I mean, they're kind of increasing the stereotype. They're being what the stereotype is, but Mm -hmm. I'm trying to break it. So it's kind of frustrating for me sometimes to see that. But Do you consider yourself a trailblazer? Um, I've never thought of it like that, but I mean, I guess with, especially with robotics that that's probably true. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were, there has been, before I was a freshman, uh, at the high school, there had been a previous robotics team that had one girl on it. And then other than that, it had been all guys. So my counting this year, the program has been around for eight years. So in terms of eight years, there have been 
two to three females that have been like really involved in robotics and then one of them being new this year. So I think that it's not expected. I think there wasn't middle school robotics when I was in middle school, except for some mm-hmm. Lego stuff, which is not what we do now at the middle school. Because even, you know, you've talked about Project Lead the way, you've talked about robotics and, and you know, in some of these arenas, it seems like you're on the early um, cohort to kind of pioneer those things. Yeah. Um, at least for your school and in mm-hmm. this area, right? Yeah. And um, I, I think that's, that can be very intimidating. And it's not a way, I, I don't know if most pioneers and trailblazers would consider themselves pioneers and trailblazers, but from the outside view, you know, I, I would definitely say Paige Jackson is a trailblazer. And Again, one of those things that has stood out to me ever since I met you is that you have a really good sense of who you are as a young person. At a time when, you know, so many people are figuring themselves out. And I'm not saying you've got it all figured out. And I don't think you would say you do either. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But you have a pretty good grasp of who you are. Do you agree with that? Does that? Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that Zanesville had the opportunities for me to be able to figure out what I wanted to do and then continue doing it because I know there are a lot of schools in this area, which we're trying, Zanesville, them, like we're trying to improve this. They don't have um, like thriving robotics programs or they don't have the project lead the way like we do. And we host uh, competitions for the local teams. So there are teams from all over Miss Kingham County. We have Licking Valley and Caldwell that also come and we compete like every third Tuesday. And we really, we always dominate the competition, but we don't do it out of like we're better than you. We're trying to build the other programs up because some areas, they're so rich in robotics that they literally dominate everything. So yeah. we're trying to build our area up and get okay. the experience in there so that they can be just as good as we are right. eventually. So it's that spurring on of one another. We're going to push you to be the best as we seek to be the best so that our whole area yeah. can be and top notch. In terms of robotics, like you have to have the drive to win. You can't be okay with losing because then you're not going to be any better. Like our freshman team, we have like a senior team and a freshman team and they didn't do too hot at the beginning of the season and we were finally had to sit down with them and we're like, it's not okay that you guys keep losing like this and not caring. You have to be interested in winning because you're not going to get any better unless you're upset that you're losing. So when we're with uh, local teams and we are always beating them, some teams come back each week each time we have a competition and they're like have new robots and they're ready to try and beat us. And some teams are getting really good this season and they have a good chance of competing against us. And I don't think that anyone's going to beat us necessarily, but you can see that some teams really care about getting better and winning and trying to compete at higher levels than local. So robotics, I mean, it is more than just creating robots. You're actually competing to to create the best robot, yeah, right? Yeah. And so give me an example of of some of the robots that you all create. So the this year and my freshman year, they were majority ball games. They have ball games and object games. So we have my freshman year was my most successful year so far. Uh, but we had to basically grab a hold of balls somehow and shoot them into nets that were at certain heights. So the robot has to grasp the ball and shoot it into a net. Yes. Okay. And the net was probably three feet high, hmm. I think. But you couldn't like touch the net, so you had to find a way to shoot it. You couldn't just drop it okay. Drop it in the net. Um, and that year, my team, 
We swept like every single competition we went to. No one could beat us at state. We tried to change some things. We ended up doing awful at state and barely qualified for Worlds. But we also went to the national competition that year. We changed everything after state before nationals. We ended up being first seed at nationals and then broke some stuff and lost. But then we went to Worlds and we had our best record in Zanesville's history at Worlds that year and ended up winning an award for... Um, having a high-quality robot with good building and good programming that we have sitting up on our shelf with that robot still in the lab. So it's kind of our inspiration piece. We have our state championship trophy and our world's trophy above that robot uh, that went to world so that we can see, like, this is how things need to be done. This is the level that we need to try and get back to. Mm -hmm. What are, you know, we've talked about a lot of things and you're at 18 years old, what would you say you're most proud of? Um, I, I would have to say just the amount of things that I've accomplished in robotics probably because people don't take it seriously, especially like in terms of athlete, athletics is still the main thing and it's going to be for a while, but we're trying to pave a way that people will actually take us seriously. And in order to take us seriously, we have to put up good results. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, freshman year, we absolutely dominated everything. And these last two years haven't been as good. We've had a lot of like personal conflicts and things going on with the team. And then this but year- But that's life too, right? Yeah. You like, know, that's, that's learning. Things that typically happen on sports teams as well. So that's not any different, but- this year. <laughs> and, and not just sports. I mean, that's work teams too. That's, lot, that's staff. That's yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, Co-workers. But it, it's very, it becomes more pointed out when it happens with the robotics team compared to when it happens with the sports team because the sports teams are all perfect and they get all of our, they get all the school's money. And that's kind of been like a fight that we've been, like a battle we've been trying to fight, especially the seniors this year. Like we don't want to leave the program to like dust when we all leave because we've tried to build it up so high. So like we have battles right now with the school district trying to improve our robotics program, trying to get the recognition that we deserve, trying to get a trophy case to put our trophies in from worlds and states and even local competitions. So that way kids are more interested in doing these things. If you're mm -hmm. going to a competition and the only people there supporting you are your family members, then it kind of gets old after a while to not see your administration there, to not see your fellow students there, even when you have things at your high school. Mm -hmm. So that's been something we've been working on this year, trying to get more people involved throughout the community to show them how good we are, how seriously we need to be taken, and how important this program is altogether. Yeah, again, going back to just being a trailblazer and a pioneer, you know what I mean? And how do you feel? I mean, you're graduating this year, so do you feel like the program is in good hands to, to keep going? I think that there's going to be a rough patch. There's going to be a couple of years where the program's going to have to... Re like a rebuild. Like a rebuild. Yeah. Because right now we have a break. Like, we don't have any sophomores and juniors. We have a senior team and a freshman team. And there was just really no interest for some reason for two years with those people. So we have a break and the freshmen aren't as experienced. So, I mean, we teach them all the time things that they need to do, things they can do better. They watch us, they ask us questions and we're trying to build them up as much as possible so that when we leave, the program doesn't hurt. And now we have middle school teams. So when we leave, we're going to have a sophomore team and two freshman teams next year. So I think that'll be good. But in terms of dedication, I don't see that with anybody like with my team right now between me and my programmer, I would say we probably spent 80 hours working on the robot just this past week. Mm. So 
That's I, crazy. I don't see that. That's so much time. <laughs> so much time. I, I didn't. But it's it. worth it to you. It's absolutely worth it. We went to competition. When, we, when I go to competition and we show people how good we are, like it's worth it for my programmer and I to spend all of our free time doing this. Mm. Like right now we're not as good as we want to be, but we're on our way to get there. Like the teams that are the best in the world, we know we're able to do what they're doing right now. We just have to get there. So like him and I are so motivated by not being the best in the state even that we're putting in all these hours to try and make it that we are the best. Mm. So when you go to college, you know, what are you going to do with those 80 hours? Yeah, <laughs> I don't, that's a good question. I've been trying to figure that out because there, I don't, I don't plan on doing any sort of robotics or engineering things once I'm in college. I think that it's good to leave it in high school. Sorry. It's all good. Take your time. It's all good. I think I'm going to be a little lost. Dang it. It's all right. <clears throat> because I spent so much time, like I, like 80 hours, so... I don't really know what I'm going to do. I hope I, yeah. find, I hope I find something that I can invest that much time in and be successful. Paige, no doubt in my mind, you will. I think it's so many things. Again, it's that trailblazing pioneering mentality. It's the, the commitment. Anything you put 80 hours into shows commitment, you know? And uh, you'll find it whatever that thing is. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things, I think it comes up a lot in, in a lot of these interviews for the podcast. It's transition, you know? And whether that is transition at, at 18 or transition at 80, yeah. you know what I mean? It's hard. And, and we have, there are questions and things to figure out and there are things that seem overwhelming and daunting, mm -hmm. but, you know, trust trust what you know, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and trust what life has taught you up to this point. And again, from an outsider's view, you handle it very well. And, you know, I, I want to get into another topic here um, that you've, you and I have talked about that I know you haven't talked about with very many people. Um, and it's related to your Rubik's cubing, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you, you briefly mentioned it when we were talking about that, the, the anxiety piece, yeah. right? And, um, I'm sure that's partly triggered, you know, when you think about some of the, you know, new situations you'll find yourself in as this transition, as this new chapter unfolds, right? Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, um, you, you called it social anxiety, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, basically it's just being extremely anxious or uncomfortable in social situations and feeling like people are judging you typically when you're 
especially when you're in large crowded places or places where you don't really know what's like if you're going somewhere new or trying something new. Uh, it's really prevalent there. And for solving Rubik's Cubes, it kind of helped to just take my mind off of things because it started at one point getting bad where I was like pretty much anxious all day at school. And then I was, um, you know, just like nervous, like sweating all the time, just not wanting to get called on in class, even if I knew the answer because I didn't want to talk in front of people. And like, I'm a firm believer that medicating yourself can be one of the best things that you can do because I know that it's made a huge difference for me to be able to be comfortable just doing things that I wouldn't have done three, two or three years ago, uh, including robotics, the rules that I've taken. I used to sit in the stands the whole competition and just watch as other people did things. And now I stand on the stand next to the field and help coach my driver. I go talk to the other teams and tell them what we're going to do during the match, who we should align with, what our opponents are like. So just even things like that that I've seen a difference in that I wouldn't have expected to do. And Rubik's cubing kind of helped take away the bigness of those social situations that would trigger that anxiety, right? Yeah. It was just a way for you to kind of zone in. Um, and then you said medication has helped as well. Are there any other things that have really helped you kind of manage that, um, manage that anxiety? I think having the support from my parents that I did really helped because it's not obviously not a super easy thing to talk about social anxiety when you have social anxiety. You don't <laughs> really yeah. want to talk about well, and, having and, a problem with anybody. So Right. And you talk too about, you know, you you do value trying new things. Yeah. And oftentimes trying new things in, requires going into, you know, new situations um, with other people. Yeah, absolutely. So it, you're kind of at a, at a tension there, right? Yeah, and sometimes I even found myself at a tension when I was doing my Rubik's Cubes because I was just trying to do it, be by myself, kind of have me time, but then so many people are always trying to be like, oh, let me mix it up. I bet I'll mix it up so well you won't be able to solve it. So then I ended up interacting with all these people, which probably benefited me in the long run, but it was something I was really uncomfortable doing at that time. Like I didn't want people to watch me solve them. I didn't want people mm. to talk to me about it. Like I just wanted that to be like my thing. But then people became so involved in that process with me that it probably ended up helping me in the long run. So what would you say to people who want to write off this diagnosis? You said like you know, social anxiety is not a thing. It's just like, you know, you know, what what would you say to those naysayers? So I think there has to be some sort of understanding and the difference between just being nervous for things. Like you might not like speaking, public speaking, and a lot of people don't like public speaking and they get nervous before it. And the, the difference between that and being like, you don't want to leave your house because you're so afraid to do something or you don't want to go to school that day because you don't know when you're going to get called on when you're in class and you don't want to talk to anybody. And that's a situation that I ran into is like, I was so, I didn't want to go, this would be middle school probably. I didn't want to go to school because I didn't want to go to practice, basketball practice after school and get called out for not running as fast as I was supposed to. Like things that probably wouldn't even happen, but like situations you just would make up in your head, like, oh, that could happen. So we're not going to do this to guarantee that it doesn't happen. And I think there were probably some opportunities, some situations that I missed out on. Uh, like an early high schooler, I didn't go to many sporting events or anything like that because of it. And mm. then I didn't... I missed out on a couple of things probably, but 
I mean, obviously now that things are back to normal per se. Well, they're, they're being managed. You, yeah. you have, you know, resources, you've got support, you've yeah. got medication. So, I mean, I know there are still people that don't see it as being a real thing, but I mean, I probably would have been one of those people just as like there isn't that much research behind it. There isn't much explanation for mental disorders in general. So I probably wouldn't be as concerned or serious about mental health and helping other people now had I not experienced it firsthand. At what point did you realize for you that it was more than just being nervous and that it was something more than that? So because of my curiosity, I was constantly like on the internet just looking at things and then that- Which can be dangerous, right? it can be really (laughs) dangerous. And that's why like- the first time that I had talked with my parents, they didn't really believe me because I was like, I saw this whole stuff on the internet and it was kind of difficult. But then also in my health class freshman year, we talked about like all these different mental illness, like mental disorders and mm-hmm. things that can go wrong. And that was one of them. And ironically, I missed that day of school. I never missed school. And I missed that day where they talked about social anxiety. And then I went to my teacher. I'm like, well, what did I miss? And he said, oh, we just took a this like example test for social anxiety, but you don't need to take it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I never said anything to him about it, but and then I, at that point I was already like pretty sure that's what was going on just based on like my research and all of that. But I don't know that I even end up saying anything until sophomore end of sophomore year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you feel is it intimidating for you to bring it up? Um, the only thing that's really intimidating for me at this point is that I don't want to make people like feel bad for me like I don't want people to like pity me because of it or to give me special attention because of it and I don't want it to like it's to the point where it doesn't affect my life that much anymore so I don't want it to be you've taken responsibility for it you've you've managed it yeah and I don't want it to be something that I'm like constantly thinking about or well and and I think too you've never used it as an excuse yeah I don't want it to be an excuse and I think that's really important too is that like Oh, I got to say this just right because it was the way it was phrased. Basically, you know, a lot of us look for a diagnosis to explain behavior, mm-hmm. right? When in reality, that diagnosis can provide insight that we then have to take responsibility to manage our lives. Yeah. You know, it's not, it doesn't, you know, a diagnosis is not a, a given excuse. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope that's coming out clearly. But yeah, yeah, and, and again, that's another thing I just really respected is that you've never let this hold you back. Um, and, and you know, so what would you say to those out there? Because I do know there are listeners uh, of this podcast who deal with this anxiety, this very anxiety. They're actually looking forward to this episode. Yeah, so, you know, what what would be your encouragement? Um, that you're not making it up and that it doesn't make you any less of a person or any less capable of doing things that you actually want to do, especially when you uh, build up the courage to get the help that you need, um, then that can really make a difference because if I were still, like I can't even imagine living now how I lived like two years ago and all of the things that I would have missed out on because of it, so. Mm. So, couple questions um, I have for you. One, I, I've really enjoyed asking people this question. I'm anxious to hear what your response will be. What, what thing has recently moved or inspired you? 
maybe it's a person, maybe it's a movie, a song, an interaction, you know, something that has just really moved or inspired you lately? I don't know. Seeing all my friends accepted into the colleges that they want to go to and yeah. seeing myself accepted into the co- like freshman year, you're like... Yeah, you tweeted yeah. about that, I think, recently, too. Yeah, like... You know, all the hard work's paid off. Yeah, I'm you know, excited. Them. I'm excited for all my friends to be able to pursue what they want to and that I'm going to get to pursue what I want to, even though most of us aren't going to the same places. Like, I have friends that are going to Cincinnati, and then I have friends that are going to OU and OSU, so we're not all going to be in the same place, but I know that they're going to be successful wherever they are. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and I know you are prepping for graduation to give yeah. a speech. Yeah, so it's not 100% official, but I'm either going to be giving the valedictorian or salutatorian speech as long as well as uh, two different things the vice president has to say. So I'm going to be doing three different speaking parts at graduation, which sounds absolutely awful to me, <laughs> but a necessary evil, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, I took speech class this semester to prepare for it, so well, you're we're ta- hoping it pays off. You're talking to a seasoned speech instructor yeah. right now, so I'm happy to <laughs> sit down and, and work, work through that with you. That's yeah. exciting, though, you know, and very daunting, but yeah. at the same time, uh, a great challenge. And I think you have a lot to say. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not too cliche. <laughs> That's my biggest concern is we're going to make it Paige Jackson is far from cliche. I believe that. Paige, this, this podcast is called The Biggest Fan of Your Life. I have made it clear by having you on the podcast that I am a huge fan of your life. Whose lives are you a fan of? Who are, who are people that you're just like eager to, to see what happens next for them? Um, so, oh man. Or maybe it's people that you follow, that you look up on social media often, or that you... You know, just are curious about what they're doing because they just seem to live these fascinating lives. I never really thought of this before. Hmm. Could be super famous, could be, you know, average Joe and Josephine. That's what this podcast is about. It's finding the average the average Joes and the Josephines out there who are just plain fascinating. Wow, I don't know if I have an answer. I should have thought about this. Someone that doesn't really have anything necessarily big coming out in the future, but my great-grandma is someone that I, like, just small-town granny. Uh, everyone at some point probably has a granny, but I spend every Sunday with her in the afternoon playing games, and she absolutely loves it, and she always has these funny stories to tell us that I don't know how in the world she got away with the stuff that she did in a Catholic high school and sneaking out <laughs> school every day and hitting on all of these guys. And she ended up marrying my great-grandpa who was in the military. So they kind of moved all over the United States and she got to experience kind of traveling around the United States. But she also loves that I get to travel around the world and she wishes that she could have done that as someone who was younger um, but didn't have the opportunity to just because that wasn't a normal thing unless you were in the military yourself to travel around the world all the time. Mm-hmm. So you spend Sunday afternoons with your granny playing games. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah, every Sunday I try. We try. Um, me and my sister, my grandma and my aunt, we all go over to her house over by that... my high school and we play the same games every single Sunday. And oh boy. That just makes me even more <laughs> a fan of you. 
She's That's like, awesome. She's like my favorite person ever. She's Aww. great. Shout out to Granny. Yes. What sort granny. of what sort of games do you play? Um, we play marbles, and I don't know that it's like an actual game or not because the game's homemade, but it's kind of like sorry. Okay. Kind of. I don't really know, but she loves it. And when she plays with other people, they always someone else always takes the color red and we always let her be red and that like thrills her that she gets to be red and it confuses her sometimes because she's used to being green but then she's like oh I get to be red today and we're like yeah you're red every Sunday so she loves being like even the smallest things letting her be red when we play games like we played sorry today we played marbles and we played like a card passing game where you wanted to have the highest card and not the lowest. And she just loves being red. The simplest thing. Yeah. <laughs> she just wants to be red. And her and my sister are teammates and me and my aunt are teammates when we play marbles. And every week it's like a clean slate and we both battle to beat each other. And she loves taking people out. And she's like, ha, ah, I got you back. And she's like, <laughs> this is great. I enjoy it so I'm much. I'm sure that's the highlight of her week as well. Oh, yeah. She is always super sad when we have to leave. And then it makes me upset when we have to leave. But she, I have a great time and she has a great time. So, so you, you know, we're recording this on a Sunday. So you came to this recording session from Granny's? Yeah, we were there from like 12.45 to 3 o'clock probably. Wow. Just playing games. We bring her lunch every Sunday after... We go eat, and she always loves what we bring her. She's like, you guys didn't have to do that for me. And I'm like, oh, Granny, <laughs> what were you going to eat if we didn't bring you anything? Your leftover McDonald's breakfast from two days ago. <laughs> oh, man. McDonald's breakfast does not preserve well. No, she just eats everything, though. Like, I don't know how she's not always sick, but it's okay. She got a Taco Bell today. She got a taco and some cinnamon twists and ate half the taco and... <laughs> That's all she ate, but well, maybe, she well, loved it. So well, maybe we need to have Granny come on the podcast then sometime. <laughs> I'm sure that you guys would get a kick out of you it. You know what's really funny is trying to explain to you know some people what a podcast is. Because oh, it's not the radio. No idea. <laughs> yeah, she would have right? no idea. Oh, man. You'll have to try to explain to her when she goes to listen to this yeah. what this is yeah. <laughs> and, and report back. That'd be great. <laughs> yes. Well, Paige, thanks for making the time to sit down today and to talk about everything that we've talked about you you know again just such uh such an amazing young person um someone who has a bright future ahead of them wishing you all the best for this summer as you go to whatever country you're headed to as you prepare that graduation speech as Mm -hmm. you get ready to turn the page in the next chapter of your education and you know i just hope that you hold those values that we that you've mentioned um Keep those core to who you are. You know the, the cliche. I guess is don't ever change. Yeah. You know, write that in your write that in your yearbook. No. I'll include it in my graduation speech. Right, right there you go. There you go. No, but you you know, I think you represent your generation very well, and uh, I it gives me a lot of hope for the future of of our world to know that you know people like you are going to be running things. So. Thanks again for for being here, yes, Paige Jackson. <laughs> I am a huge, huge, huge fan of your life. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Biggest Fan of Your Life podcast. If you have any thoughts or questions for today's guest, please email me at biggestfanofyourlife at gmail.com and I'll get in touch with them for a response and maybe we'll even talk about it on a future episode of the podcast. And if you're a fan of this podcast, I'd love it if you would like, rate, share, comment, review, and or subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcast listening platform you're using. 
Maybe even take a screenshot while you're listening and share it to your Insta story. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Owens. That's at Z-A-C-O-W-E-N-S. Or on Instagram at Zach underscore Owens. Or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Zach Owens Music. You can find out about other creative projects I'm working on, including new and original music. I'd like to give a special shout out to Audrey Pelser, who designed our podcast graphic, Grayson Wazaleski, who composed the music that you're jamming to right now, and Donnie Moretti, our audio engineer extraordinaire. Thanks again for tuning in and join us next time when we'll have yet another fascinating guest that I'm a fan of and that I think you should be too. Till then, I'm Zach Owens, and I'm the biggest fan of your life.